I am Brooklyn-based psychotherapist Nikita Banks, and I am your host of Black Therapist Podcast, formerly of Black in Therapy. Black Therapist Podcast is the podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Black Therapist Podcast, or you can follow us on our Facebook fan page at Black in Therapy, or my fan page at Nikita Banks LMSW. You can email us fan mail, general feedback, and show suggestions at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. You can sign up for our mailing list at blacktherapistpodcast.com. Tweet, share, like, leave us comments on whatever platform you listen to us at, whether it be SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Music, Stitcher, etc. We are wherever podcasts are found. So on this week's episode, we have a two-part episode. So I'm going to explain to you what's going on. So I saw Black Panther over the weekend and I loved it. And I decided that I wanted to talk about like some of the social issues that I saw in it. But the, the movie was layered upon layered upon layered upon layered. And as I'm, you know, looking at all of my friends talk about it on Facebook and the private chats that I'm having about it, I realized that this show only scratches the surface of some of the things that I've seen in the movie. And so we started out doing a show where we didn't want to, we didn't want to give away any spoilers or spoil the movie for anybody who did not see it. And then what ended up happening is we talked so much about it on air and then behind the scenes that we ended up deciding, or I ended up deciding to bring um, my friend, my guest, and my co-host for this episode, film critic Tim Gordon, of um, notably of Film Gordon fame. If you're from the D.C. area, you guys probably have heard of him. But um, I decided to bring him back, and then we were just going to like have a frank discussion about the characters. So I'm going to post both shows. The first show will be a Monday show, which is our regular show. The second show will be up on Wednesday because it takes a while for me to edit and do these things. And I do got a life. However, there will not be a show next week. And the reason that there won't be a show next week is because I'm launching and working on a project that um, I hope to have out within the next two weeks. And so if you are interested in that project and you are interested in going further with us in our journey, make sure that you sign up to our mailing list on NikitaBanks.com or you drop us an email at BlackTherapistPodcast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook at Nikita Banks LMSW. I'm not an LMSW anymore. I'm an LCSW. But Facebook doesn't care. They won't let me change the name, whatever. So... Any of those three places, you'll be able to find me and I'll be able to, to put you on the mailing list for the exclusive launch of what the next thing is. But you won't know what the next thing is until next month, which is uh, March, because that's when we'll be launching. OK, so sit back, relax, and we're going to get into our latest episode, which is Return to Wakanda Forever. <laughs> this is our Black Panther social justice episode 
where we are going to have a conversation with film critic Tim Gordon. Yes. And if you want the episode with the spoilers in it, come back on Wednesday, subscribe on Wednesday or unsubscribe on Wednesday. But I'm going to put in the title spoiler alert so people know that if you haven't seen the movie we're going to speak frankly about it. It's not that many spoilers in it, but I just kind of felt like when we were doing the first show, I, I, I didn't bother to know names. I didn't bother to like record, speak about people properly. Like I really wanted to have an in-depth conversation about some of the things that happened in this, the movies. It was so multi-layered with like symbolism and Africa versus African-Americans and you know, ancestry and who gets to be family. It was like so layered trauma, trauma, trauma in the movie and kind of the sins of the father in, in this movie. Like it was so many different things that we talked about and powerful, empowered, wonderful, beautiful black women that it, it, it could not be done justice talking around the issues and it could not be done justice without speaking frankly about it in one episode. So this is a double episode issue. <laughs> so this really is a double episode uh, kind of day. And so we will be talking about this for the next shows. And like I said, we will not have a show next Monday but we will have a show the Monday after that because March is women's month. And I want to feature and discuss a lot of issues that face women of color in the month of March. So please join us for that. Okay. On to today's episode. So I saw Black Panther. This is not the show that I wanted to do today, but I'm black as hell today. I was black as hell yesterday and I was black as hell the day before, but it's a little worse now. And I figured we could speak to someone who knows a little bit about the movie business. So I have uh, Tim Gordon. Hello. How are you? Okay. So introduce yourself to our listeners so they know who you are and what it is that you do. Oh my God. Um, I'll just try to do this. 15 second version um 26 year film critic uh based in washington dc president of the washington dc film critics association founder of the black real awards which honors african-americans in film and my newest project is uh developing the lakefront film fest in columbia maryland that's going to launch in july of 2018 okay and for the film fest like what kind of submissions are you looking for uh, we're going to be, it's a multicultural film fest. Um, what I'm basically looking for, and the easiest way to explain it is that I usually go to film fest and have been for the last 20 years, where they're mostly all white, like a big glass of milk, and then they sprinkle in a little black, a little brown, a little Asian, whatever. I'm looking for a strong black cup of coffee that we're going <laughs> to mix in some mainstream stuff and, you know, try to brown it out a little bit. So that's kind of my goal as the curator of my festival of what I'm trying to design. Oh, and, oh, and, submissions, and submissions closes uh, on on uh, Friday, March 16th. So we've got about a month uh, left in order to get submissions in. Okay. And are you looking for shorts, full movies, projects? What are you looking for specifically? I'm looking for everything. Uh, narrative features, docs, shorts. Uh, we've got experimental animation, student films. Uh, you know, films that I just want to curate. So I think it's year one, and we're kind of like it's a it's a huge 
you know, I'm, I'm using a huge wide blanket this year, and I'll probably, you know, as the years kind of progress, I'll kind of have a rhythm and rhyme on how we're going to be, you know, what the types of films that we're going to feature in. Okay. So um, let's get into Black Panther. I saw a lot of social issues in this movie, but as I was watching it and speaking with a friend of mine, I was saying, you know, I really feel like I need to see it again. And I I didn't know, and I I still kind of don't know if there's a way we could discuss it without giving away the spoilers, but I figured since you've been doing this all week on TV shows and on radio interviews, you would be the best person to talk to to do that. So what are some of the social issues that you saw in the movie? Well, first and foremost, what I would say, uh, the importance of the film, because that's, that's the question that keeps coming up all week from people like, why, why are black people, you know, so adamant and, and, and excited about this film? A lot of it is, is based around representation, right? So for years, you know, um, let's just say we grew up in an era where our heroes didn't look like us. You know, uh, you know, if you like superheroes, you know, they feed you a steady diet of Superman and Batman and Captain America and Iron Man and Thor. You know, a lot of folks who are, for lack of a better term, mainstream or white superhero characters. And I think what we've seen now, and I was doing an interview yesterday and I was explaining this, and I said that this, this, it, imagine being a 15-year-old kid now and you grew up in a world where the president was black, uh, one of the biggest superheroes in, on the planet is black. And there's so much representation for you, or, you know, things that will inspire young people that we may not even know the impact 35, 40, 50 years from now. Somebody will be inspired now from living in this time and this era. And I said it's almost like the best time to be alive uh, for representation. So that's Issue number one. Issue number two, and what I think the film, it actually has a lot of messages in it. Um, I love the dynamic uh, between fathers and sons because that's kind of featured, uh, you know, uh, uh, very much so in the film. Uh, The other thing that I love and and hasn't been spoken about a lot is what I call the the two polar opposites that have been happening in the African-American community now for like 150 years. So 150 years ago, and maybe not that long, maybe about 100 years ago, we had the the differing philosophies of a Booker T. Washington and a W.E.B. Du Bois, meaning that Booker T. thought that black folks should kind of like work themselves up, you know, by their own, pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They should be, you know, a credit to the race where W.E.B. Du Bois was like, we're not laborers and we're, you know, we're going to use our minds and uh, we have a different way to serve. You know, you go up 40 or 50 years or 60 years and you got Martin Luther King Jr., nonviolent protests uh, and his philosophy versus Malcolm X, who believed that, you know, blacks should, you know, uh, shouldn't turn the other cheek and that, you know, it's the battle of the bullet. We should stand up. And this film has that sort of dynamic as well uh, between a couple of characters in there, which I will not give away, where they both essentially want the same thing, but they they have different methodologies on how that should be attained. Uh, And I thought that, to me, was the most fascinating aspect to me of the – or one of the most fascinating aspects of the film because, you know, people want to put 
things in a box and say, you know, this is the, the white hat or the good guy and the bad guy. And I'm under the impression to me that I didn't really see a bad guy. I just saw two people who had different methodologies uh, who basically were pushing each other, trying to both achieve a goal to help our people. And I, I think that, you know, the, to me, I thought the layers of what Ryan Coogler, uh, who co-wrote the story with Robert, Robert Joseph Cole, I think his name is, uh, you know, the co-writer of the film, I thought what they did, you know, kind of laying the story out, I thought really was spectacular because people keep, you know, you know, focusing on the fashion and we're focusing on uh, issues of empowerment with women, which is very dominant in the film. And, and actually, and that's really something important to see. But I think the messaging and a lot of the, 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 the text and screenplay of how it's developed, to me, is what is everything with that film. It's the reason why people leave the theater and they leave with all of the, the visuals, but they, they think about the story and go, man, that story, man, it's layered, it's deep pretty good and you which also drives that you got to see it several times really to take in all of what you have witnessed and try to kind of encapsulate it in your mind like wow what did i just watch <laughs> so it is an amazing achievement all around for ryan cougar and his team behind black panther and uh it's a movie that's poised to break records i just read this morning that uh it's headed 216 million dollars and i think that number may go up which will beat the record of uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, which finished with like 204, something like that. So it's a, it's a record-breaking historic weekend at cinema, and it continues uh, as folks are going back, as you said, to see it a second or third, some some instances the fourth time. Yeah, for sure. And and for me, I, I agree. I, I really feel like it was a, the battle between Martin and Malcolm, almost. I think that that was kind of the the point of it, and I, I it didn't really strike me until, you know, just listening to what you what you said. But I, I when I was watching it, I didn't feel as if there was any any good guy. Like it was really hard to root for the good guy who was who made an, a case and an argument for self preservation, and a bad guy who was making more of a radical. Um, more of a radical case for unity without giving anything away. I think that at this point, people know who the who the so-called good guy is supposed to be and the so-called bad guy is supposed to be if you've watched interviews or if you watched um, anything about the movie. But yeah, the father and son aspect of it also really did um, strike me. Of course, the women the role of the women in the, in the movie, the women in tech and um, how he took the lead with, with the science and the technology part of it. But the, the women, they were not just eye candy. Like they were actual partners in the movies. And, and in a lot of ways, they were kind of the saviors of the movie, just as hello, black women are in our community and have been for centuries. Right. Now, now, the other thing that, that I thought was really interesting, and again, that needs to be brought up, is there's another character in the film that, you know, poses opposition to the king, right? And, you know, of course, you know, there's, there's a deeper discussion that you and I could have offline about the actual nature of the character as it appeared in the comic that they changed it for the film because it would have been 
you know, racist <laughs> and not a good representation in the film. But even that character, which is, is kind of depicted or at least introduced to us, you know, in opposition that he could possibly be a bad guy, also has a code that's in the film that I, I appreciated, the code and the honor that, you know, I'm not going to support you. But when, when, when the support was really needed, that character stepped up. I'm not going to leave you down and out. Yeah. Right. And, and I thought, and, and it was cool the way they did it because it's like, man, I'm not here to help you. You know, we we ain't on the same side. But again, as it is explained, that, you know, we sometimes, and I use this as a metaphor that, you know, like sometimes I'm here in, in, in D.C., you're in New York, and issues that may affect you, we kind of look at it down here and go, that's their issue. Or you look at issues that we go through, that's their issue. But at the end of the day, we all one family. And the film, I think, does a really good job of painting a, a, a country, a nation, that while it's divided, that in a time of need, that country comes together. Those people come together in support of one another. So I love that aspect of the story as well. And I'm, I'm really surprised that in a one-hour uh, well, I'm not a, a one hour and a 140 minute screenplay that they're able to get so many messages into this film. Um, it is it is Afrofuturistic. It's uh, it can be described as the wokest film ever made. <laughs> it is an absolute instant classic, and I've been saying. Yeah, I've been saying all week that I think it's the second best film that they've ever produced in the MCU. The only film I think that's better than this film to me is Captain America Winter Soldier, only because of the, po the political intrigue that that film has, the story of Nick Fury. But this is a really, really strong uh, MCU debut for Ryan Coogler. Third movie this dude is, is produced. He's 31 years old. 31 years old. So, so how was that? I didn't. No spoilers. That, that was good. That's what I've been doing all week because I want people to have the experience. I don't want to give you anything that may take away from the experience. I don't think we did that this morning. You know, no character names, no segments, no sequences. Yeah. <laughs> what I think is genius about this is that you can tell that that not just Ryan Coogler is a fan of this comic, but they did it with the level of respect that, they, that uh, you know, they, there's almost no wasted scenes in this film. So when you talk about the aspect of support, like the, the, the people that are around, uh, there's a wonderful mix of uh, reverence and respect. I mean, would that, would, would you, uh, that would probably be the, the best way to describe it, because while we know who the king is, the king is still a man, and the king is, is in transition. If people watched, Civil War, and you know what happened to King T'Chaka, who died in an explosion in that film, and then, you know, uh, the, the grief that T'Challa, played by Chadwick Boseman, is going through. You know, as he's trying to transition, he needed a support system around him of his friends and people who were close to him that respected him, but also had a lot of respect for the title of the king. And I, I love how that's actually portrayed or, 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 or painted or, or given to us because that's not typically what our experience as black people has been in films. Um, you know, people talk about coming to America, 
you know, and King Joffy. Um, you know, it's a different it's a different dynamic. You know, it was a comedy, you know, it was kinda cool. We saw it. The Munda was, was, was lit for for its time period in nineteen eighty nine. But this is a different level. <laughs> it really is. And uh, you know, uh the costume work of Ruth Carter, you know, everybody looks gorgeous in this film. Yeah, he he's 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 out of here. He's out of here. His career is gone after this. Um the betrayal uh, of the, the 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 friends. Um, we're not gonna we're not gonna say names, but the betrayal of the friends and the easy easy betrayal of the friends that kind of stood out for me as well. And 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 even even though it was more of like a futuristic film, it felt very down to earth. Like it felt like like you're mentioning coming to America and coming to America to me it just seemed like hokey and like a fantasy and like something that wouldn't happen especially happening in Queens where it doesn't look like they filmed in Queens because <laughs> I'm from here and even though Eddie's from Brooklyn it is what it is but just you know it, it just felt like something that would never occur this movie it felt real if that makes any sense even though it's it's Definitely a fantasy world. Just kind of the interactions between the characters and the writing and the stories. It was it was emotion filled. It was multi layered, and it was it was kind of something. I think you and I have also talked before about kind of supporting black film just for black film's sake. I want to support good films. I want to support good writing. I want to support believable characters. I want to support people who look, actually look like me and are, are multi-layered and I, I believe great acting. And in this movie, it had all of those elements that just makes a good movie that sometimes we don't see in black films. Right. I agree. Um, and it's funny when you were saying that you want to support black film, I started to jump in with a joke. I mean, you know, are we going to dress up for acrimony when Tyler Perry's movie? <laughs> no, that, that was a joke, dear. That was a joke. But, but, but the one, uh, and neither, and neither am I, but. Respect what, you got to respect Tyler's gangster, but I am not his audience. I just ain't. But I'm laughing because one of the other things that came up today and I've been saying all week is I've realized that there's all this excitement and all this kind of like these, this prideful feeling about Black Panther. And, you know, Ava DuVernay, who's got wrinkling time dropping on March the 9th, I'm sure she's sitting at home wishing, man, I wish people, <laughs> I wish I could get like a quarter of the audience, man, this feeling uh, that they're doing. And, and this is a movie that they're already saying is tracking at 35 million, this is another historic film because this is the first African American woman to have a 100 million dollar budget. You know, you got Oprah Winfrey, you got Reese Witherspoon. Um, I forget the the young lady who is actually the star of the film, but this is another one. And I'm like, you know, we need to make sure. And I agree with you that there should be a support of really good movies, and that has not always been the case. I know we had Hidden Figures a couple of years ago. Selma didn't get this kind of love, which I thought was a really good movie. Um, of course, I, you know, the, the whole slavery thing with 12 Years a Slave, that's, that's a tough sell. Birth of a Nation was a tough sell. Um, not, not just because of the content, but because of the controversy around that film. But th I, I would love to see, I mean, Girls Trip was a success last year. I would love to see people get more excited about a lot more 
than just kind of these sorts of films. I understand why people love this movie, and I do as well. But, you know, I'm a film critic. I got to watch 299 more of these movies this year. So I have to find reasons to get excited, and I'm trying to get your audience excited for them as well. But see, here's the, here's the thing. I tries, I tries <laughs> to watch good black shows, but I am an intellectual. I'm ghetto, but I'm an intellectual. So you have to stimulate my mind. And the the lack of development of good multidimensional characters it, with good acting is a problem for me. It's a problem for me. And that was not a problem in this movie. It was not a problem in this movie. And I do want to talk a little bit about representation and just kind of share a story. So when I was little, they, I didn't have any black Barbie dolls. I played with Barbies. And the closest doll that I got that was a, a woman of color was Cher. I ended up with a doll that was my cousin's doll. She got too old to play with dolls, and I ended up with her doll, and it was a a, a doll of Cher. And she was tanned as I don't know what, and she was, she looked more like me than my Barbies looked like me. And then eventually a, a black Barbie came out, et cetera. And, but when it came time for me to buy action figures for my son, I made a conscious decision to buy black uh, action figures. And I think uh, you you guys, you guys out there listening, but you may know a little bit more about the comics than me. Um, so I think I ended up buying him a Nick Fury. Is he black? Okay. And I think I ended up getting him a uh, Hawkman. But I literally had to go, and I live in Brooklyn, New York. I literally had to go from Toys R Us to Toys R Us to Toys R Us. That's what we had at the time to find him a black action figure and buy, find him black G.I. Joe and sorry white people I used to buy the white um dolls for him or action figures for him because he had to have somebody to fight <laughs> so and so representation does matter but I think that you know the comics if if I'm not mistaken they've kind of been able to be under the radar with with being able to represent us and tell our stories in a different way than like comics or mainstream media would allow because there was this whole subculture where we could actually exist in that space. And I think that that part of it is why people are so much more invested in a, a story like this. And even Star Wars, uh, Lando, is that his name? I don't know. I just, Billy D. Williams. No, Lando. Lando. Lando Carlissa. Yes. Listen, I've only seen my first Star Wars movie last year, and that was with um, David Boyega. Oh, The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. Okay. Well, that was my first one. I saw it with my son. He really wasn't into Star Wars. I don't know if he's going to be into Lando, but I think I'm going to see that because, I mean, I liked Billy D. Williams. Yeah, this is this is actually uh, interesting. I was I was hoping, and I wish they would do like a Lando kind of prequel, because he, you know, the Billy D. Williams kind of gets in with uh, Harrison Ford's character, so they're showing him at the very beginning, and Donald Glover looks eerily like Billy D. Williams, a young Billy D. In some of those shots, man, it is creepy. He does. That'd be dope. He really does. Yeah, so, but yeah, so that that comes out on Memorial Day weekend, uh, solo, so the, the, the uh, one that you're talking about. And also, uh, uh, King T'Challa, as well as Adora Milaje, will be back in three months when, uh, you know, uh, uh, Avengers Affinity War Part 1 drops <laughs> on May the 4th, I think it is. 
Okay. So my son usually makes me stay to the very, very end of the movie after the credits because he always says that usually there's a tip for what is going to happen in the next movie. And this time I asked him because I waited and I said, well, what is he wasn't with me, but I texted him and I said, what is the the symbolism at the end of the movie? And he says, um, there is a tip there, but you won't get it. So do you understand what the young man is talking about? Uh, yeah. Did you did you did you understand? Or I mean, because I don't want to explain it on air, but if you didn't understand any of those teasers, I can actually help you offline. Okay, okay. So since we don't want to give any spoilers away. Oh, you definitely don't want to give that away. No. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay, so I will ask you offline. We can talk about that as soon as we get done here. But the, the, the thing that stuck out to me the most about the movie last night was trauma and just how trauma can develop a person's personality and harden them in a way that is counterproductive to their existence. And I'm not sure if you know, but I know from doing this job that the statistics that are on young black boys who are committing suicide is, is going up. And the numbers from 5 to 11, uh, young black boys are killing themselves and succeeding in killing themselves. And when I say succeeding in killing themselves, I'm saying that they actually complete suicide, whereas others will attempt. So to hear uh, one of the characters talk about like some of the pain that he's going through and to see how that manifests in his character, like that really, truly stuck out to me. Yeah, I agree. And I think I know which character you're talking about who went through some, some trauma in this film. Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, um, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think that um, what he what he endured or what he, he, he witnessed at a very early age, and it happens with all of us, you know, like the things that, that we see impact us very early on, it kind of forge not necessarily our personality, but may forge something in us. And that was a very traumatic thing, which – kind of drove him. And, I mean, there, there are lines in the movie that talk about, you know, this is something that I've waited all my life for. You know, I trained and did everything I needed to do for this moment. And you're absolutely right. The trauma of what he, he, he went through, and unfortunately there was no one there to help him, you know, compartmentalize or kind of to help him grieve or to help him process you know, like therapy, he, he needed to talk to somebody like you <laughs> much earlier in his life, and maybe he could have turned out in an amazingly different way or, or could have turned out in some sort of a different way. Um, so you're absolutely right. I think that it's and – and, and that trauma is not just in this film, but I think you can find that find instances of that in the majority of movies you watch. There's always somebody who's gone through something – that helps shape who they become. And in, in, in instances when they become somebody really bad, which I think is really fascinating that, you know, if you, if there was a way that you could have what I call a middle of the road experience, where you could have somebody, you know, like this person experienced it. If he doesn't get help, he's going to end up going left. If he does get help, he may end up going right and being a more productive citizen. Um, so I, I, I agree with you. I think that, the trauma in this film, that is really a very telling aspect from the mental health approach uh, of somebody. He, he, he really could have used somebody in a major way, and, and that he didn't get that help 
shaped who he became. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he didn't want the help. Like when it when it came to the point that he could have gotten help, he didn't want the help. Not that not not the initial help that you're talking about. Meaning that when the incident happened and somebody could have intervened, and you know there was no there were no mother characters in that in that section. So we don't know what he endured or what he really went through after that that incident. But after that, when he was able to get help, he he didn't want the help. He chose death. Um, yes, it is an interesting uh, kind of, of scene, I think, that brings a little closure that uh, that you could see the pain uh, when he or this character gets an opportunity to interact with someone really, really close to him and understanding that the, the, the pain of what he's witnessed, the loss, uh, I, I would almost call it loss of innocence. Uh, you know, there were promises that are made, which, you know, you we always tell people you have to be careful what you promise young kids because they really actually always remember. They listen, yeah. Yeah, so that that I, I again, like I said, I mean, it's difficult to talk about this right now. Where we really can't go in depth because we're trying to keep it spoiler free. But there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie that if you really sit down, like once this movie comes out on DVD and you get a chance to watch it, you'll be watching it over and over, going, "Oh my God, I can teach. I can use this to teach. Oh my good, this 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 scene right here. There's a lot of stuff in this movie, man, that, that just." speaks to me in a way that's very emotional. Yeah, my friend um, Chuck Creekmore put up on Facebook the other day. He's like, the first time I saw this movie, I almost cried. The second time I saw this movie, I did cry. And another one of my friends who was at the screening that I was at last night, he was like, I almost, you know, I really wanted to cry thinking about how beautiful uh, this this experience is. It it really it really was. I mean, we indulged and dressed up, and I mean, I'm always extra, so I didn't even buy anything. I just pulled something out of my closet. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, love you. I'm always extra. <laughs> I just pulled something out of my closet, to be honest, um, and wore my everyday clothes uh, to the movies. But you know, we 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 did have some of the pageantry and that that whole thing because when I get a chance to be extra for a reason I do it for a reason because I usually do it for no reason so part of that conversation on on another Facebook post I saw was an article that was like oh before you start wearing your traditional African garb you should research the garb and underneath that comment someone said don't research anything wear whatever you want to wear welcome home and those two messages were kind of the two messages that you get in the film about isolation and exclusivity and what is and who is African, who can define the ancestry and the separation, and the other is all is welcome. You have black skin. You have brown skin. You are a person of color. We know you are from us. Come. And, I I mean, that really struck me as kind of what we have to decide as a people. If we want to be separatists, or if we want to include all that wants to come. And so, yeah, that that those messages also struck me in in the film as well. And as I'm thinking about it, I, I had a I was struggling a little bit with like, Dag, how could you pick some guy you don't even know over your homie? But 
th- those two characters, the one who betrayed his friend and the one, I mean, it really wasn't a betrayal, but whatever, betrayed his friend and the one who he ended up bonding with, they had more in common than the other character because the both of them were fatherless sons. So I get it. I get it now. It's a lot of them. It's a lot to unpack. Like you, you're gonna watch this movie, and you're gonna think about you know the things that you've seen and the things that you're you're going through, and you're gonna be like, "That's oh my god, I didn't think of that." But a lot more is coming to me as I process it. And that scene between him and Danny, I don't know what his what her name is, but I don't know anybody's name in this whole thing except for T'Chaka and T'Challa. Um, I'm calling by their real names. So Danny Guerrero. Okay, so let me help you. Look, 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 look. You got the, you got T'Challa, General Okoye, Nakia, which is the love interest, Killmonger. Okay, of course, I of course I know Nakia. Cause come on, hello, I'm I'm always the love the the love interest. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> Uh, are you are you doing distance long distance? You're not doing distance these days because you know I'm in DC. Um, we, we could talk about that offline, right? Now. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Put you on the spot on air, like yeah, what's up? <laughs> Go ahead, dear. I'm teasing you. Go ahead. Okay, so you you were you were explaining the characters. Yeah, I was saying. So you had uh, you 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 were talking about Denai Guerrero, of course, plays General Koye. Uh, Nakia is Lapita Nyong'o. Uh, Eric Stevens, a.k.a. Killmonger, is um, uh, Michael B. Jordan. Of course, T'Challa is Chadwick Boseman. Shuri is played by Letitia Walker. Um, I'm trying to think of who else was primary in there. Of course, Andy Serkis is is Claus. Zuri. Zuri was um, Forrest Whitaker. Zuri. Zuri was uh, Forrest Whitaker. Right. That was Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, for Ramonda, 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 I think her name was pronounced as Angela Bassett. So, yeah, I, you know, as you can tell, I've seen this movie enough. I'm like, yeah, man, what you need to know? <laughs> what you need to know about Black Panther? <laughs> that's why I called you. That's that's why we have you here today. What else was I going to say? Oh, the two white guys. So I'm not, you're on my Facebook, so you know that uh, I, while I was watching the movie, I was like, you know, this lone white savior has no real purpose in this movie. Why was the CIA agent there? See, here we go again, man. You sound like somebody else I know. Man. Again, you got to remember, we're not talking about a real world, right? We're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and a lot of this is based on comics, right? So all these relationships that you see in film, for the most part, are things that have already been written in comics for the last 50 50 years, right, since Black Panther was introduced in 66. So there was, you know, I guess uh, the character of Claw, which is played by the great Andy Serkis, who, you know, you might have watched Lord of the Rings, and he played Schmeagol, uh, you know, my precious, that's him. He voices all of these characters, you know, uh, War War for the Planet of the Apes. He plays Caesar. He voices that character. So Andy Serkis is, like, legendary, right? Um, but his character that's in this film, I think, started out in Age of Ultron. So this is a part of watching all these Marvel films in the cinematic universe they developed that they drop these characters in. And, they, you know, a character might appear in an earlier movie, and then they'll show up in this movie. So they're tying together a part of the story because it's all leading to the next film that happens after this one where all of the superheroes come 
to fight one common enemy. So you'll see Black Panther in the next film with the door of Milaje, Iron Man, Thor, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man, all of them. So I'm probably going to skip that movie, to be honest with you. Okay. So I, I said all of that to say that the characters, I, I, I'm in love with you right now, but it's cool. <laughs> That all of the stuff that the subplot that's in this movie is kind of designed a certain way because it's it's here to tell us this story, but it's also setting up future stories that are going to be in the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the CIA agent, I'm not mad at Claw. He was, we know why why he's there. But but what was the CIA agent there for? He had no purpose. Well, the CIA agent, the CIA agent. <laughs> Who, who also appeared in an earlier film. Uh, matter of fact, I think he appeared in the last film. He was in Captain America's Civil Civil War. Okay. So we're going to leave him alone. We're going to leave him alone, but I think he's there because he always has to have a white savior. Always. And there always has to be the balance that if there's a bad white guy, there has to be a good white guy. That's why I think he was there. I think that was his purpose. Well, but... but, but well... Well, I think I think honestly that you can look at it that way, but by virtue that the movie had a black executive producer, it had a black black screenwriter, black director, and literally a ninety eight percent black cast. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I think they were there. Look, I think they were there. Uh, that we made the, the the one dude a villain, like who's probably the only real villain in the movie. And then the other guy is there, but his role is so in the background. I didn't even really pay him any attention, you know, because they kind of clowned him the whole movie like, yeah, man, just do this, man. <laughs> yeah, so. They did. They really did. They sunned him. I'm not mad that he was there, but it was like, a, it was glaring. And I probably, the reason that they did it as well is because to flip you know, representation. Usually there's that one Samuel L. Jackson character in every single movie who's just kind of like, and I don't mean the new the new Samuel L. Jackson character because I swear now he, he has the, the mother efforts or built into his contract now that he gets to, gets to shoot up a bunch of people and drop the F-bombs everywhere. I'm talking about that old 1980s, 1990s Sam Jack that was in every single white movie known to man where he just got to say seven lines and you know, like, was the, was the sidekick. So I get it. I get it. I get it. But it just was like, what is he here for? Like, what's this man's purpose? That's just kind of how I felt. Look, I ain't mad at you. I'm laughing at you because you're absolutely right. I mean, like I said, I think nine times out of ten, that would be true. But in this case, the, 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 the mainstream, i.e., white representation is so minimal in this film that it's really, I mean, they're there, but they ain't really there. And I think that's what's upsetting so many people because they're like, wait a minute, man, really? That's it? Yeah, we, we turn in the tide. So I was going to say, we turn in the tide because, you know, as a, as a film critic, I've had to sit through movies for decades and watch it be the other way. Like he just explained, like, you know, there's a whole movie, and then they drop Sam Jackson in there. He'll sprinkle in some funk, and then, and then that, okay, now we're moving on. You know, we gave you what you want. Here's a little bit. And it's the same thing in this film. But I think this film is an anomaly because, you know, I think you're going to see it's going to they'll probably do a better job. And when I say do a better job of trying to balance the story out, because you realize there are two more of these movies that are coming. This is only like part one 
of the Black Panther trilogy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So they're going to make two more films. The next one will probably be out February of 2020. <laughs> February? Look, look. February. So we're going to just Black History Month every every year? It, it, it was the first time. Hollywood is lazy, Nick. It's like, hey, if it works, what? Just do it again, man. Two years from now, whatever this weekend is, in 2020, they'll be like, yeah, Black Panther 2. <laughs> this is what we're going to do for Black History Month? Lord, have mercy. Okay, so my friend put up a Facebook post, and since you know a little bit more than the, about this than I do, you know a lot more about this than I do, because I didn't even know when she told me or when she put the post up, and like my mind was blown. So now I have to... Of of all of the the psychological reading and like the the journals that I have to read now, I have to go back and read comics. But my friend wants to know if there's going to be a movie where uh, Black Panther and Storm get married, and I'm like, what? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, based in the comic book, that 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 actually happened. Um, the the Disney is in the process right now, and a lot of companies are make, are putting bids on Fox right now. Fox is selling, you know, its television and its film properties, and it was thought that, you know, maybe a month ago that if Disney bought Fox, then they would bring the X-Men, who they licensed to Fox about 20 years ago, that they would bring those characters back into the fold and then probably reintroduce them in the MCU, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, of course, you know, Hugh Jackman, who just, with Wolverine for like, I don't know, 15, 17 years. He just retired. I love him. Halle Berry is too old to do the character now and introduce somebody new. So uh, to answer that question, it depends on if Marvel is able to get the rights back to the X-Men. And then if they do, then that can set up them following the comic books to bring those characters back together, with, uh, which I don't know what they would do with Lupita Nyong'o, who would probably be pissed off if Storm rolled up <laughs> on the T'Challa at this point. That's don't... Now, that's not... Now, I, I don't follow any of these show, the like these movies or these shows, but for the past 20 years, I have had to watch X-Men movies with my kid. Like, that's the only thing when a new X-Men movie came out, like, I went to happily... It probably has something to do with my fixation on Hugh Jackman, but we can talk about that another time. But so it, I like I, I love Nakia, but um, Lapita would have to sit down if I had a choice between Storm. <laughs> you know, that's just me. I'm 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 on my Geek Squad stuff today. I'm just saying, like she would have to sit down. Love her. You are funny. Okay. So so do you, so so th- it's a it's a yes, no, or maybe. Well, I, I, in this case. Right now, as long as Fox, I mean, uh, that Marvel didn't have the rights, the answer is no. If Fox got the rights back, maybe to, depending on how they would they would uh, do the script, because the other part is right now, let's be real about this. Um, the, the folks at Marvel, Kevin Feige, who's like the overseer of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, they've plotted this stuff out, Nick, through like 2028. So they know exactly which characters they're going to introduce, which movies get made, when they get made, how the story arc is going to go. So if X-Men is not in the mix right now, it's going to be hard to to include Storm into the story if she's not already as a part of that universe right now. That's hard. 
So the answer would probably be if he had, if he if he stuck a gun to my head, I'd go no. All right. So tell the people where they can find you. They can find me at Film Gordon everywhere. You know, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. Um, I also have uh, my site, thefilmgordon.com, and my brand new radio show that um, I just launched, relaunched. It's going to be at WHUR HD4, uh, called Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Uh, which will air on Saturdays, and I don't really have a time right now, which I'm sorry to say, but when I get one, I'll let you know. And if you ever want to talk about mental health characters and characters in your movies, let me know. Well, I'm going to probably have you, uh, I'm thinking about bringing you on to do a, a show with me and then also talking to you about a possible idea of doing some kind of panel work down at the film festival, give you an excuse to come to uh, Columbia, Maryland in the summertime. All right, you guys, you hear that? I'm not editing this out neither, so um, I'm, I'm just letting you know because I'm going to be there. <laughs> All right, so thank you for, for doing my show this morning or doing my show today whenever the people are listening, and um, you guys out there, be well. You've listened to another episode of the Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Nikita Banks, licensed clinical social worker, and this is Black Therapist Podcast, formerly Black in Therapy. If you are looking for any information, any resources about today's show, or if you just want to drop a line and say hey and subscribe to our mailing list, you can do so at our website, Black therapistpodcast.com you can send us emails at black at gmail.com and if you enjoyed what you heard today please like comment share and subscribe because we want the show to grow as organically as we possibly can and we cannot do that without you thank you for listening be well